Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. This is one of a series of interviews posted on our website and YouTube channel, where we will hear from experienced missionaries sharing stories and insights from their journeys. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hello, I'm Christine Patterson, lifelong cross-cultural worker and trainer, and I'd like to welcome you today to this interview with Katie Chen. Thank you for joining us. Okay, let's jump into the interview. Okay, just to clarify to everyone, I've conducted these interviews from all over the place, but now I'm back in Taiwan, and Katie is also here, just a few miles to the north. Um, and you'll see that the weather is not great. <laughs> We're sniveling yeah. a bit. Um, um, so anyway, I just met Katie for the first time a few weeks ago, and um, I was really struck by her story, so I, I wanted to share it. And um, I'm really looking forward to hearing more. Katie, it strikes me that you're quite an unusual person to find around here. I mean, you're English, you're blonde, you speak and read Chinese fluently, you're a missionary but married to a local Taiwanese guy and a mother, busy mother of three, and now you're a local pastor as well. I look forward to hearing how all those pieces came, came together. So why don't we start at the beginning? Where did you grow up and how did you come to faith and what were your dreams growing up? Um, so I grew up in the um, in a place called Whitwell, which is a, near a, t- a town called Worksop, which I'm sure no one's ever heard of. In and it's near, yeah, in the UK, near Sheffield. So it's um it's a place kind of um it's on the between, it's on the borders between Yorkshire, Nottinghamshire, and Derbyshire. Okay. Um, closest closest to Sheffield as a city, so that's where I grew up. And my parents weren't from there. My mum was from York and my dad was from the Lake District, um, just all from Cumbria, just, just above the Lake District. And so um, they, they, they met at university. They were both first generation Christians, really like passionate for Jesus. And so after they got married, they felt God called them to the Midlands. And they moved there, got stuck into a local church and then planted a church into this mining village called Whitwell. So I grew up in a church plan. Um, there was lots of like miracles, people getting saved really like supernaturally and all sorts of things. So, I mean, I knew of knowing, knowing God from a very young age, especially like the father heart of God. Mm-hmm. I really, um, I knew that from very young because I think my parents being first generation Christians, like the father heart of God was really on them. Right. Um, so, yeah. And so I like asked Jesus into my life when I was two. Um, demanded to be baptized at five or six, that kind of age. No, and um, yeah, demanded to be baptized like five at five or six years old. And then, um, yeah, and at the time, my pastor, everyone said no because they thought I was too young, but I kept insisting. And then, in the end, my parents just really felt that it was from God. So they took me to see the pastor again, and the pastor basically said. We don't call him a pastor, actually. We call him, like, one of the elders because the church I grew up in just had, like, a community of elders leading the church. Um, So, yeah, and so the elder was basically, like, if that's what you feel, feel like you feel you should be baptized, then you have to explain to the whole church why you want to be baptized. So I did, and then I was baptized in a swimming pool. (laughs) Great, okay. When I I got older, I mean, when I got older, like... um, I mean, we grew up in a very messed up place. There was like a lot of drugs. I mean, the place I grew up is like the epicenter of the heroin, heroin addiction in the UK. So it's a really messed up place. Um, after the mines closed down, people were very like um, kind of lost and didn't know really what to, um, to do with their lives. Um, so I grew up in that. And by the time I got to my teenagers, it really affected me for a few years. I was smoking and drinking and smoking cannabis, lots of boyfriends. Um, and then, yeah, but like what sometimes at that time, like when I'd be walking home at the end of a night out and I'd just start singing and worshiping God and then just like crying out um, to him. And then I'd start speaking in tongues 
and and I'd really just stop like connecting with the the father and and so there's definitely a part of me that knew that God had a calling on my life, mm-hmm. even though my life from the outside looked very far from God. And then when I was 16, I was on holiday with my family and God spoke to me really clearly on a beach, like a, a, a Cumbrian beach, um, a Newcastle, a Northumberland beach, um, yeah, when no one else was there. And he called me to follow him and I, and I, and I said yes. And I just had this like real um, transformation moment. And after that, I was just like, I just decided I wanted to follow Jesus. Wonderful. Okay, so how did the nations come into the picture? And when, when did you first come to Asia? You know, like when, when I was little, I've always had a heart for the nations. I mean, our family, there was like four of us. And so we, we didn't have a chance to go abroad because it was very expensive mm. to travel. Um, but I just, like my heart always thought, as soon as I'm old enough, I'm going abroad. As soon as I'm old enough, I'm going to live abroad. As soon as I'm old enough, I want to go and explore the world. Like I just had this real heart for nations and for different cultures. Um, when I was 16, I decided I was going to take a gap year. And um, I kind of said to God, like, God, I want to use this gap year to know you, like to get, really get to know you. And if you want to, then, then tell me what you want me to do. Otherwise, I'm going to go backpacking around Europe. <laughs> And um, and so one day, like I never really heard from God. And then one day, like I never, before that, I couldn't really hear, um, like a, hear a voice. I only like would sense his presence sometimes. Um, but one day I was walking home from the co-op and a voice said to me really clearly, call um, the pastor's wife from my church, like from our, our main church. So I got home and actually I didn't want to call her because I had some really bad experiences at the youth group in our main church because the youth group was all like, like all the kids of the people in the church. And so a lot of them, they didn't really have a heart for Jesus and they weren't on fire. And I, when I got set, like when I'd given my life to Jesus at 16, I was like, you know, we need to, we need to go out. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to do mission. And everyone else was like, yeah, Katie, you do that if you want to do it, but we don't want to do that. And so at the time, the pastor's wife had kind of like, been supporting her daughter and kind of made me feel really sad at the time. So I can't remember the detail, but I remember just like not wanting really to speak to that person, but God told me to call her. So I called her and asked her what was going on on the, the mission that Friday night. And she said, oh, and she said to me, um, oh, this missionary from Brazil is coming and he's going to be sharing about his work with street kids. Well, I just finished reading this guy's book. Oh, wow. I'd just finished reading it like the week before and I've been praying about this gap year and, I, and when I'd read that book I was like god oh if I could go to Brazil and like serve these street girls that would be amazing that's what I feel like I'm called to and I was so excited and then so when I got this like call the pastor's wife and this guy was actually coming to our church I was so excited and I was like this is it this is what God's prepared I'm going to Brazil I'm going to work with street kids it's going to be amazing so I got there and when this guy's talking I just started crying. I cried all the way through the whole thing. And then when he finished, I went and I was like, I want to sign up. So he gave me the details for like, you know, an open date to learn about mission. And so I traveled down to Cambridge with my mom and dad to, to go to this open day. I was so excited. So I like sat through the whole day again, just like so excited. And finally, when they sat us down to talk, they basically said, we're really sorry. We can't take you to Brazil because... Mm-hmm. Um, there's only one guy missionary there and he's a, a guy and he wouldn't be suitable but we have this team in the philippines that's also doing work with street kids maybe you could consider going there because over there there's a couple and they could look after you so they show me pictures of the philippines which is absolutely beautiful and i'm like yeah it's still like in the you know in the zone and, and at the time it was like this god had only ever spoke to me once in my entire life and that was tell me to course the pastor's wife on that day. So I was like, if God, if God spoke to me and he's brought me to signpost like this, this, um, this mission organization and he's brought me to these people, then it's obvious that his, that's where he's, so we've got here. So if they say no to Brazil, yes to the Philippines, then I'll go to the Philippines because this is the closest to like feeling led by God that I'd ever experienced. So I was kind of just like, okay, I'll go. So that's how I ended up. So I ended up actually in the Philippines for six months. And when I was in the Philippines, God said to me, your future's in Asia, go home, learn Chinese. Wow. 
So I got home to England and I already had my, I already was going to Newcastle to read um, English literature. So I said to God, well, you're going to have to change my degree because I don't want to change my degree. And so I got a letter from the, church, the, the university a month before we started school to say, um, they're changing the course. And in the first and second year, a third of the course is now going to be in a foreign language. Wow. And these are the foreign languages you can learn. And the first one was Chinese. And I was like, okay, then that's it. Then I'll let taste. So, and that's all when, when I went to university the week before, uh, the month before I started, God told me not, um, no, like the summer before I started, God told me not to take out a student loan. He said he didn't want me to have any debt and then he wanted me to trust him. So I didn't, so when I went to uni, I didn't take any, um, I didn't take any student loan, even though my parents couldn't give me enough. And my dad was like fuming. And I was kind of like, well, God, if you don't provide, I can go back to the Philippines. Because actually, I never wanted to leave the Philippines. Like, kind of, God told me I had to go back to England, but I didn't want to leave. So I was like, oh, if God doesn't provide, then I don't have to do university and I can go back to the Philippines. That was my thinking. Um, so, yeah. So God just, like, started to lead me to prepare. But, like, from that time, I knew that my future was in Asia, that I was to learn Chinese. And even though I was so rubbish at Chinese when I first started learning it, I mean, I was at the, the bottom of my class for the first two years of Chinese study. So, and I kept going to the teacher, like, should I just give up? Because I was really used, like in my other subjects, I was often the best in the class. But in Chinese, I was absolutely rubbish. So, uh, because God had spoken, I really had a peace and a faith that I just needed to like push on in with it. So that's how I started moving towards Asia. Mm -hmm. And then you came to Taiwan also to study, didn't you? Was that... Um... Yeah, so I... I I learned Chinese in, in Newcastle for two years. And then in my third year, I went to Shanghai for a whole year to go to their university um, to study. And so when I was in, in Shanghai, I just really, oh, you know, Shanghai, I don't know now, but like then, they have lots of really beautiful parks. And in these really beautiful parks, they have lots of old people. And it's just so amazingly quaint. So I used to, I, I went to, the, there was this park just down the road from the university in Shanghai where they have all these old people dancing and drinking tea at like six in the morning. And so I used to go down there at six in the morning before class. And I used to practice my Chinese on all the old people because young people in Shanghai, by then they wouldn't speak to you in, 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 in Chinese because they wanted to practice English. So I used to make friends with all the old people. So I was the worst in the class until we went to Shanghai. And by the time we got back from Shanghai, I was like so much better than everyone else in the class that I had to teach them, that they'd all come to my house and I'd, I'd teach them. And I, and I graduated with um, a first class honors because, um, because of my Chinese, because my Chinese level was so high. So God's so good. Like he just blessed me. I remember Chris Patterson, you know, the last... The last, um, um, whatever he is, of Hong Kong. The yeah, last, yeah. yeah, he was the one who was giving the Button, yeah. award. Yeah, yeah. And so he was just like, he talked to me for so long. My mom said it was embarrassing because he was asking me all about like, how I was learning Chinese and stuff. Uh -huh. So, but yeah, so like, so it was a real honor because it was such a thing of faith to take Chinese up. And I was so bad, it looked like it was going to ruin my degree. Mm. But in the end, like, actually, like, that's how I ended up getting a right like being the top of my class mm -hmm. and so after that yeah. it was Taiwan how did you get here so when I was in England um God spoke to me about um I was in England and in the final year of university I was really like God you know I for me like it, like my worst fear in my life would be like waste like kind of wasting my life doing something that wasn't what God had created me to do Mm -hmm. So and my, my, my image of like the most, like the most awful life ever would be like staying in England, buying a house, having a mortgage and then working really hard to pay off the mortgage. I mean, that's actually, that would be my idea of like hell, like, like a comp, like, like for me. And so, um, and so I remember just battling with that fear about like what God's called me to and like what, mm. um, you know, like what, what's it all about? And like, am I going to, be brave enough and there was like a lot of fear um there was a lot of fear in my heart and I remember just being like I want to be more scared that I waste my life 
and don't honor God, like glorify God in what I do, then I'm scared about like failing or like some like you know having no money or you know I just I don't want to be so scared of of like failing in like God's calling to permission that that I I, I, that I kind of choose the safe way. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a year of like me pushing myself to be like no like. So I really, I, I really did push myself. I just made myself, like I ignored all the fear and just made myself kind of keep like saying yes to God. And so, you know, I tried different things. I considered being a lawyer and, and I, I really wanted to be a lawyer and to work um, in human rights and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I just felt God say no, no to that. And then in the end, like someone introduced, said there's like this, um, there's this, uh, what's it called? Scholarship to do a master's in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And I just really felt God wanted me to apply. So I just, I applied just like, cause obviously it wasn't a decision. Like I might not get in or something. So I, I applied and, and then I heard from them just originally I thought I'd not got in. And then just a couple of weeks before graduation, they, they called me to say I got a place, but I need to make a decision that day. And I said, I can't make a decision that, that day because I need to talk to my parents and church people and stuff. So I said, I need a week. They said they give me three days. So I basically, I basically then spent the next three days going, like talking to my parents or my close friends, talking to the elders in our church and just hearing from them all about what they thought. And basically what everyone, and everyone was basically support. Everyone was like, hey, you've obviously got a calling to mission. You've obviously got a calling to Asia. And even though our church in England didn't have a church in Taiwan. They were willing to send me and to over, like to sort of spiritually like to, to support me and oversee until I got to wherever God was sending me to in Taiwan. So, uh, yeah, so that's, so, and and what was really interesting was when I told my parents, when I told my dad, my dad said, Oh, well, actually I knew six months ago that you were going to go to Taiwan because, because when he'd been praying, God had spoken to him really clearly and said, Katie, we'll go to Taiwan. You need to prepare your heart. So he told my mum and they'd be praying about it for six months. And so it was really good because then they were kind of prepared for what happened. And I guess the fact that I'm still here, like for my dad, um, he kind of knew that then that my calling was here. So he's never expecting me to go back to the UK. Okay, so what, uh, did you have any preparation or did you just come? Did you go to do any cross-cultural training or anything like that? No. No. I came. I came. You know, the way God led me, I think, was very different to a lot of missionaries. Mm. Um, I think probably because of my gifting, I'm very much like pioneer. I tend to go, I tend to head away from Christians and into the kind of where there is no one. And that's, and then like, that's kind of where I, I thrive. Like I thrive like seeing God create something out of nothing. That's where I get really excited. Right. So um, I think that's just like my gifting. And the way God trained me, I think like when he called me to Taiwan, he said he was calling me to Taiwan. He wanted me to learn how to do church with Asian people. Right. And so you know, the way he trained me was like bringing me to Taiwan to be a student. Mm-hmm. And so as a student, you're kind of in a more simple setting because everything's very... Like you just focus on learning. You you're quite humble because you don't know anything. So I kind of it almost was like going back to being a kid and having to relearn. Like I just laid down a lot of my English culture, my English ways of thinking. Wow. Um, because in the, in the Taiwan school, a lot of the ways they're teaching you is very different to England. And I'm like, no, that's not that's not that's not it. That's not the truth. The truth is that. But like, and then you realize, oh, actually, a lot of the things they teach in school are not like that's not actually a fact it's a lot of it's an opinion or it's perspective Mm. and so I think for me that was like um part of God's training like to lay down a lot of my British culture and I guess there's like a lot of pride and a lot of like superiority as a as in a British culture sometimes and I think being in Taiwan which is quite a humble culture and I think it, it God changed me a lot and like took a lot of my pride. And I had to like, when I was writing essays, cause I had to write all my essays in Chinese. So when I was writing essays, I had to let people help me. I had to like constantly 
be asking for help from people because I couldn't do anything on my own. And so it was a really, it was a humbling process. And I think that was part of like God used that, that whole process to, to change me and to bring me to a place of like humility and to teach me to ask for help. Um, and to, to, and I think because God took me into the Taiwan church. So on my first day in Taiwan, before I left England, God told me to go to bread of life, like about uh, like, there's too many different ways. So I had this like bread of life. I need to go to bread of life, this church. And then when I arrived the first night in Taiwan, um, a friend, like a friend of mine from England, a Taiwanese friend had picked me up from the airport, but he was leaving the following day to go back to England. So he introduced me to his friend's friend's friend who was at the same university as I went to in Taiwan. Well, she became like my Taiwan sister. Like literally, like, so I met her the following day. She taught me to Bread of Life Sunday morning meeting. Then she taught me to carry four. She helped me get set up. But she didn't really like foreigners. She didn't like white people very much because she had some really bad experience with Western people in, in clubs and stuff in the past. So she was thinking like, I basically get her set up and then I don't have to be involved anymore. But in, we kind of fell in love with each other in a kind of friendship way. And we just became really amazing friends. And then God told, so God had spoke to this girl, Bella, before I came and said to Bella, like, are you willing to host my, um, in Chinese, she said, are you willing to host my servant? And so she was thinking, what? So she thought about it for a long time because she's a little bit of a loner. And, she, and then she said to God, okay, I'll do it. So when she met me on the first week, we went to Taipei and on the way on the MRT, God said to her, this is my servant. Well, it's a funny word, isn't it, to you? So, so when, when, when he said it to her, she knew that I was the one God had called her to. So she basically, at the time God spoke to her about laying down her life to look after me and to host me. Wow. Yeah. So she was like a really amazing friend. Like, so she was more like a, like she's not, it wasn't just a friend. She was like a real sister and spiritual sister. So we, we prayed together. And like the first month we met and we started seeing people get saved in the university. And we started like a prayer, like a Bible study. And then within a year, we started a small group. And then the small group, we became three small groups. Um, we, we, like, we used to pray by the river, by Dance River, but every morning praying for revival. Like, we used to meet every morning at seven with another girl, Vanessa, and the three of us would be praying for revival. And then God just started to move and people were getting saved. And it was really exciting. So, so she was like the first one that God kind of gave me. Like, as a, a, like, I guess she was like the one who hosted me. If she not hosted me, I, wouldn't have, I don't think I'd be here now. But she opened up her, like, a house. I ended up living with her, and then she shared all her clothes with me. She, she, like, she used to take me home at holidays to spend the holidays with her family, like her family's. Like, she's a fourth-generation Christian. Her family are all in the Presbyterian church in Taiwan, and her dad's a pastor. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like, she, they were just, they became my Taiwanese family. And so, like, in their family, I also learned to be a Taiwanese daughter, because they would treat me like one of the family and expect me to behave like one of the family. <laughs> so they trained me. Um, they even taught me some Taiwanese, though my Taiwanese is better. Yeah. Because they live in Thailand, so they speak more Taiwanese than Chinese. So like, it feels like for me, God, the, the training ground God gave me was, was just community. Really? Like the community. Mm. Yeah, and like and he just gave me relationships. And I learned from those people and then gradually grew into... Um, and then like Vanessa, who was my first small group, like she was my, no, my first, she was my second small group leader, but she was just really impactful because like how, how much faith she had and how she led and how she ministered to people. And so I just felt like I was learning from all these Taiwanese people Like in our church. The church was very like, in revival when I came, like lots of young people getting saved and so passionate for Jesus. And so the truth is I was learning from them, like how to, to follow G. It was, it was humbling because I was thinking, I'm coming, I'm a missionary, I'm going to change the world. And then that was not happening at all. Um, instead, I was like having to learn from all these yeah. people. Okay. But it was very, but that process was really important. I think that's how I grew into what God had, had for me in yeah. Taiwan. So then um, 
when did you realize it was not for short term that it was for long term and and was your husband now was he part of that that realization or did it come independently no <laughs> i mean I, I it was because i it was after i knew that i was called to asia um, to taiwan more long term that i would consider dating like or going out with someone who was from here um so i finished when i was finishing my masters um before, so I said we used to pray by the river. God spoke to us about a, um, about planting a, a prayer house in the university. So we turned our living room into a prayer house. Mm -hmm. And um, this is you and the three girls, is it? Or the other two girls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the other girls who lived with me, we we, we turned our house's living room into a prayer house. Right. And then and then all these people who got saved just left. Like some graduated, and some had fought. And like they'd gone away and and so there was no one there and then i was doing my masters and and he was like why are we still here should we just give up on all this so i was in myanmar doing my field study and then bella calls me to say like she can't cope like there's no one using the prayer house like why are we still in dance she goes to work in taipei every day she's not cope like she's like why are we doing this and so i was like okay we need to fast we need to fast and pray and ask God why he wants us to do this. So she was fasting in Bansui and I was fasting in Myanmar. And I was praying in the room of the hotel in, 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 in um, Myanmar. And God just took me to Luke 10, where it talks about sending out two by two, like the 72. And he said, like, in the, he said, in the next generation, like in this generation, he's going to start sending out the young people of Taiwan into mission. He's going to send them out two by two. They'll be fearless and they'll just go, like, just like the 72 went. They'll just, like, go, like, with nothing except their faith in God. And they're just going to take the, take the gospel to the nations and they're going to see, um, like, they're going to go all over, especially in Asia. And so they, this is what I saw like God went to, and he said like the, the prayer house is preparing for this. Mm. So I was like, okay. So, uh, you know, at the time in, in, in my, at least in the church I was in, in Taiwan, I mean, I never ever heard them talk about mission. It's not like in the UK where we talk about the mission a lot. I mean, they never talked about mission. And so I was like, God, like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know how that, what that's going to look like. And also Taiwanese people are very careful mm. about their lives and I, I just I couldn't really picture it and so but when God shared that I was like okay well, well then if this is what you want to do then we'll keep praying but I didn't think that was my calling at the time like they, I thought I was just because I, I was asking God so we were serving him it wasn't like about my calling or something it was just that we were serving God so I said to I said to Bella we can't stop we can't close the prayer house because we need to um, pray for this and so when I finished my master's God told me, like, I, I, everyone's like, what, are you going to leave Taiwan now? When are you leaving? And, and God just wouldn't let me go. Like, I, and then God told me to stay in Taiwan. He said, like, um, that he was my calling, that he was my purpose, that he was my reason for being here, and that I was to pray in the prayer house every day, like my job. So I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. And I was praying, getting up every morning and going to the prayer house and just praying. And I was kind of like, I was kind of, the same, again, saying the same thing to God as when I finished my undergrad which was that I didn't want to waste my life doing things that didn't have eternal meaning and then crying out to God like just um don't let me in my fear settle for something that's good but not you mm -hmm. like I'd rather die and go to heaven now than to waste my life doing stuff that has absolutely like that doesn't have any eternal glory I mean that was my heart and so I just prayed like that for six months and um and then uh, one day, it was really strange. I got, I, I got up, I went to the MRT, I was going to Taipei, but God told me to go from the MRT behind. And the, behind the dance rate MRT, there's actually a load of buildings that used to belong to Shell. Mm. And, um, and in, this, in the Shell, they, um, and there were all these old buildings, and I didn't know what it was. And I went in there, in amongst all these buildings, and just started crying. And I felt like God, like, calling me. And so... Um, I went to Tsulin to meet my friend. I got went into the book the bookshop. I sat down in the bookshop randomly and then just randomly pulled out a book to read while I was waiting. And the book was about Danzui history. And so when I was reading about Danzui history, the, I opened the book onto 
of course, the place I'd just been to that was introducing the history to the shell. And then it kept going. And the next thing it was talking about was that Dan Shui has a, um, it has a cemetery that belongs to, there's a foreigner's, a foreigner's cemetery because in the old days, Taiwanese were so scared of foreigners' ghosts, they wouldn't allow foreigners to be buried in Taiwan soil. So they used their Taoism thing to separate a piece of land to bury the foreigners. Hmm. So there's like a, there's a there's in Tamkang High School there's a, a a cemetery and next to it is the Makai Makai cemetery right. like his where he's buried and so God told me to go there so I'm reading about it and all these like missionary kids who were buried there and stuff and I was just crying 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 so and I didn't know why I knew it was the spirit because I wasn't like sad it was like just I felt really moved so the day, next day I went there and actually the the the, the principal of the Tamkang high school met me and just basically took it, looked after me and introduced the whole thing and took me to see the cemetery because you can't actually go inside. And, um, and when I, and I stood there in front of, because Mackay, his cemetery isn't inside, it's outside. He refused to be buried. He said he was Taiwanese. Is the, is the pioneer who first came to Taiwan with the gospel, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's the one. Mackay is the, the first missionary to northern Taiwan. And so yeah. him and his whole family are buried there. Mm. And when I saw him, suddenly, like a verse in the Bible, in Chinese it says, mm. in, in English it says, like, I, I, I never remember. If he falls into the ground and dies, um, it abides alone, but yeah. if it dies, it bears much. That was our wedding sermon, if you can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I feel like God just suddenly said to me, like, you have to die here in Danshui, and your life will... Um, bear a lot of wow. um, a lot of fruit like that kind of thing mm. so um, so I was still struggling with this when suddenly my now pastor Pastor Roger appeared in our prayer house the next day because mm. the, the church was, our main church was supporting financially some of the costs for the prayer house so he came he didn't even know I lived there and I was telling him what I was experiencing and he just invited me into the church to work in the church Mm. Um, to prepare the Danshui area to plant a church. Well, you know, when we were praying by the river, God had spoke to us about three things. He said we'd, we'd start a prayer house, then we'd plant a church, then we'd start to see missionaries raised up and sent out. Mm. So that, they were the things. So, um, and so God just spoke to me like over the next few weeks really clearly about... Um, he just gave me a lot of confirmation that he wanted me to stay in Taiwan, that he wanted me to go into the church and that he wanted me to start to do this. So I said, so I said, yes. And so as soon as I said yes and started um, working in the church, actually it took, some, it took months for me to work in the church. Um, in fact, I, it took me two more years before I actually worked in the church because they didn't know how to apply for a work visa. So I didn't actually, like I kind of worked in the church without officially work in the church for about two years, the next two years before actually becoming an official employee. Mm -hmm. But in those, in, from that time, when I said yes, God just started to bring this whole like group of kids to know Jesus. Like, so they would just start to be like people getting saved, but very like, not just getting saved as in like, oh, I'll give my life to Jesus and then I'll keep living for myself. But I go to church on a Sunday, not that kind of saved. I mean, I'm talking about like literally like everything for your glory. I want to see revival. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. And then people were just coming to me saying, hey, I feel like I'm called to Japan. Or I feel, I feel like I'm called to like Iraq. Or I feel I'm called to this. And it was just so like such an exciting time mm. of just seeing God move like that. Um, and so, yeah. And so that, that was, it was kind of like all of that together that just confirmed like wow like like this is like god's calling and i think from that moment i never wanted to be anybody else or go anywhere else well i didn't even care like other people i will never be jealous of another person ever because i was like in the calling and so there's just something about knowing that you're you're in the right place doing what god's created you to do which take you don't, you don't compare you're not thinking like oh why have they got more money or why are they more blessed or you just so there's just a deep joy to living in the things god's called you to and that's how i felt in that season and so um yeah and then I met my husband Ewen like I met him 
um, we were leading a missionary team. We were leading a prayer team in a big mission to Hong Kong to serve like Chinese mainland um, pastors in Hong Kong. So they, right. they came over the border and we ministered to me in Hong Kong. You and I were leading the prayer team. And um, yeah, we just kind of fell for each other. Like in that. So, but I think he asked you a very telling question, didn't he? He said, are you willing to um, never to leave Taiwan or something? What, what did he say? Well, I mean, when we, when we, started, when we started dating, like when we started, we, we, wrote, we wrote to each other and we talked online, got to know each other as friends. And then when we were getting ready to actually start going out, he kept, he, like, I remember him taking me out on his motorbike and he kept turning around and saying to me, are you sure, like, you can stay in Taiwan? Because his mom, like, is on her own and he is the only son. So he has kind of a responsibility, I think. So he kept saying, like, are you sure? And because obviously, like, I knew, I said to him, like, you know, like, if we get married, then in the future, anything God says after we're married is for both of us. But, like, for now, like, God said, like, I'm called here. and if but if God calls us somewhere else in the future, you have to be willing to go. And actually, I remember saying to you, and one of the things I remember saying to him when we were dating was basically, if you, if you allow anyone in your life to have any impact on whether or not you follow Jesus, I can't marry you. I said, if your mom has even 5% influence on, 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 on whether or not, like on your decisions about your life, mm. um, I can't marry you. Because I said, I've, I've paid a huge price in my life to allow God to have a hundred percent sovereignty over everything that I do. And I don't, and I'm not, I'm not willing to not follow Jesus a hundred percent. So unless you're willing to follow Jesus a hundred percent, I can't marry you. And he, and he said he was willing. So the other thing was, was he asked me if I would consider moving to Dan, to Taipei. And I remember like, so we were dating. I was, in, I was in love with the guy. I was very like, all very sound, like very sound, very like girlish. But I remember him saying to me, will you, like, would you consider moving to Taipei? And I said, I said, unless, I said, unless God says very clearly, I'll never leave Dan all my life. Wow. I'll never leave. Wow. Um, because, you know, I knew. Yeah. And so, so he went. So there was things, there was things in our relationship with, where there was like flexibility, but the thing about, but things to do with the calling, I mean, there isn't any flexibility because you just, because that's just what you're called to. And, and I would rather be single for me. Like I would have rather been single and, and follow Jesus than to be with someone and compromise. Like for me, that was never an option. Like, so, but praise God, I was bold. And then God just gave me this awesome husband who is willing to follow Jesus 100% with me. That's wonderful. <laughs> and you now have three kids and now you're a local pastor. We're going to have to be a little bit quicker. But tell me, um, yes. how you came to be actually made, made pastor then of this new church plant? Hi, little man. So, <laughs> so we started, so we started, so I said like all these young people started getting saved. And there were so many of them in the end. There was like, what, he was going 40 and then 50. And, and we just couldn't, and we were traveling all the way from Dansway to like the main church. So in the end, we, um, the church, like my pastors came to me and they were like, when are you going to plant the church? Well, at that time I was still single. And I was just like, I don't want to plant a church on my own. I don't want to do that. So um, I prayed to God and I was just like, God, like if you want me to plant a church in Taiwan, you need to give me a husband. Like I, really, I said I'm willing to do it on my own, but I don't really want to. So in 2012, at the end of the year, I was still single. And God said to me, next year is going to be a year of preparation because you're going to prepare to get married and you're going to prepare to plant a church. And then he said in 2013, you're going to get married and you're going to plant a church. By the time I was single, I was like, like completely single. So, so God said I was to declare to everyone that, that 2012 was a year of preparation. But the, the, the 2013, I wasn't to tell anyone, it was a secret. So, so I had to tell everyone. So everyone was like, what's, you know, what's God gonna do next year? Like in Chinese, they often say like, Ming Ming Nian. Like what's your, what do you feel God's speaking over next year? So I was like, God said it's a year of preparation. And they were like, preparation for what? And I'd be like, for planting a church and for getting married. Because, <laughs> because I didn't have anyone. So it was really, so, so in the end I was like, you know, for, for like getting, for planting a church and then um, getting married. 
And then they were like, getting married? Like, have you got a boyfriend? And I was like, no, but God says that next year I've got to get prepared to get married. Well, he went, like, asked me out in January. And by February, we're discussing when we're going to get married. And so um, we got married in the April of the following year. And so in that process, um, I just knew that, like, God also wanted to plant the church. So I, I, I started just declaring, saying, like, next year we're going to plant a church. But we had no people to plant a church. It was just a group of students. And you know what? Like, students aren't the most trustworthy people. Like, what I mean, I mean, they're not very, like, well, not trustworthy. Like, very reliable, reliable. They're not very reliable. And so, um, but God just said it. So I just started saying that. And then we found the building in the February. And they started, like, dec- like setting it up. We got married in the April. When I went on, the, um, on our honeymoon with Ewen, like all the students we were leading had a week of prayer, like 24-7 prayer, seeking, seeking God for whether they were called to be involved in the church plant. Because I said I didn't want anyone to be involved who wasn't called. So they were all praying. And then we came back and I met up with them all. And God had just spoken to so many of them really clearly. So we started the church um, on the, the 19th of May, a month after we got married, with 30 students me and my husband and one other couple. Mm. So that's how the church started. And so when we planted the church, it was really clear like God wanted us to plant the church. But I mean, running a church has been, um, like, I mean, leading a church has been a huge learning curve. Mm. I and, um, but I think, you know, I think if you don't go through this, I mean, I believe in the, in the future, in the next few years, we're going to start to see more and more people sent into mission, people sent abroad, people like being trained and going out. Mm. And I think um, if we haven't been through this process, it's very difficult to really support people. Like often what we find is that it's hard for people in the main church who've never been involved in church planting to mm. really know how to support us because they haven't got a clue what we're going through and they don't understand our challenges. And so a lot of the time it's more like um, main church centric it's like their needs and what they want from us rather than really being knowing how to support us. So I really believe like, you know, just like Paul, he, he, he planted many churches and so he kind of knew what the, the process. So when he was supporting other people, he knew what the challenges they were facing because he faced them himself. So I feel like that's what the season we're in at the moment. And so at the moment it's like, well, how do we get to the next stage where, um, where God's calling us to, to send out missionaries mm. and um yeah i think we're just in a process of like praying and seeking god for breakthrough in dance street because at the time when we prayed in the past god said we'd see like a huge transformation in dance street and we'd see like a revival like moving through dance street and we see lots and lots of people getting saved and lots of god's like god moving here very powerfully and in danjang university tamkang university and that from that we'd start to see these missions missionaries sent out right. and so um yeah so at the moment like I've, I've been praying about whether we should start to like do some some like how do we do training um you know because i said i've never been through like official right. like one two three training and so like for me a lot of things are very innate like um mm. sixth sense kind of thing like i i mean i i guess that's like got the gifting god's given me so for me but i find that other people it doesn't necessarily come to them as easy and so they, they need to be taught and taught very systematically and and um well I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure we told you about um about our platform field partner being exactly for that reason because neither ross nor i had any training either so we feel as though we've made a lot yeah. of mistakes we've learned the hard way and that's what we want to share so i mean you know, any way that we can serve but but I, the other thing i wanted to bring out just before we close is what you were saying about um, meeting other people in Danshui who were not to do with your church, but who have that carry that same same heart for mission. Yeah, because yeah. No, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot. Yeah, it's I think the thing is when you're leading a church, when you're a missionary, you tend to have a, a specific gift, which is you're very focused mm. on what God's called you to. And I think missionaries tend to be very focused on the the mission, but yeah. not so much. On, on, we're not like I'm not very good at doing networking, connecting with other people. Um, I tend to be very focused on 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 the goal, on the mission. Mm-hmm. But um, 
yeah, but definitely like this last year you know when i'm reading a lot about like seeing the um, cities and nations transformed the key thing in all of them is is unity and 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 i think it's a pride thing sometimes they're all like it's a because it's so exciting when you see god move that you're almost like this is mine like god this is mine and i think that's been for me like a huge um it's a way where i've i've, I've almost stopped what the holy spirit is doing because i've made something that's about him about me yeah like in the past like, and so that's something i've had to repent of more than once so mm-hmm. um but i think recently like i really feel like um yeah that god's called i mean god's got a special calling for Dansui as the city that brought the gospel to the north of Taiwan. It's also got a special calling as like a sending city that it will send. And, and, and you know, I, I've heard God say that, but then actually I know many, many people in Dansui who are serving under different organizations, different churches, and they all have the same, the same sense that God's got this call over Dansui. And so, like, you know, got the Y1 base here, OEMA here, um, there's lots of churches that have got this same heart for mission, and and when we have the like the, the prayer with all the pastors, like they often pray this over Tanzania. And so in the past, like I was just like, you know, we need to become a strong church, and then we can bless all the other churches, and we can do this together. Um, God's just like, um, I think recently, just saying to me like, no, it's it's not about becoming like strong. It's about um, just being humble and connecting with all these other churches and then allowing what I've seen recently is God himself moving young people like people in their early 20s to try and bring unity amongst the pastors and like bringing like yeah and praying and connecting us and coming to serve us and like and explaining what God's been saying to them as they're praying for the city and what I see is we've got this group of like young people in their 20s early 30s who've been committed to this to dance for the last 10 years since they were like they were students because god spoke to them all at the same time mm-hmm. about 10 years ago at the same time as he called me to dance and and so i see this like oh there's these people in all these different churches who have not left dance because they know god's got this calling here and that he's going to do something and i feel like it's our responsibility to to bring these people together and to allow enable everyone to come together and pray and seek god more so I think like this is what God's going to do over the next season. Um, so, yeah. So I think the challenge once you plant a church is to not get bogged down in the, the, the challenges of everyday pastoral. And, and it's how you like, you love on the people God gives you, whether or not they're anything like the people you need to do the thing God's called you to. Like how you do that at the same time as, as going firm to where God's called us in terms of mission and, so this is the challenge at the moment. The thing I would love to do that I really want to start doing is to take out like the like some of our core team who already know God is it, like to teach them how to step out in faith by going out on missions. But the mission is like, um, there's no destination, there's no planned destination. We just come together. We ask God where he wants us to go. We go and we just trust that he'll provide. We don't take money. We don't take anything. We just go and trust that he'll provide for all our needs that's the that's what i want to try that's what i would love because i believe that god said to us he wants to do like luke 10 mission well i mean that's what luke 10 mission was like like it was complete trusting god you know he said don't like on the road don't don't talk to people like it means like um don't ask for people i like, don't ask how people are i like, don't get distracted don't 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 do things to try and like get people's attention like to you know, don't use human ways to get people's support, mm. but like trustfully in me. I think that's like, I would love to see, I, I really want to do this. You know, if, if people don't have faith, then everything they're doing is just like, it just holds everything back. Because what you see is where there's no faith, there's fear. And mm. in all these, in all these people who think they're following Jesus, but there's no faith element, they're not really following Jesus at all because they say do it at the moment. And the truth is, it's not about them it's about whether god can do it and whether god's calling them to do it the issue is never whether they can do it or not it's whether that's what god said and i just think like um i just see that faith element the lack of faith in people's lives that element in their lives stopping people from really doing and responding to what god's called them and it makes the church weak and powerless way it should be strong and powerful and so for me i see this in our church i see like I don't know how to help other people to step into that faith element 
even though I've got that faith element because because in, in part it's a very personal thing like no one ever trained me to step into faith like I just followed Jesus and he spoke to me and I did what he said and then I saw him provide and saw him act and so I listened to him again and then I did what he said it was a very simple process it wasn't like a really complicated thing but nowadays everyone's like oh I need all this training well they do need I mean there is training aspect especially for people. <laughs> <laughs> but there's but, there, but but sometimes people like of all this training and they know the bible so well and they know it all so well and yet they don't have the faith to live any of it out and so for me it's like how do we how do we build that faith element into young people or into anyone really who wants to follow jesus and wants to do mission because if there's not that faith element everything becomes like but you know like it's like expecting other people to provide or expecting the church to provide or expecting people to be the answer and the truth is people aren't the answer and the church, the, the, like the church isn't always the answer. Like the, I mean, what I mean is the church is in like an organization that, that gives funding or whatever. That, that is not the answer in that way. But mm. God's the answer and he provides through his church as in the ecclesia, like he provides through his people. Like, like, like he called Bella to like take care of me and he yeah. called this person to like provide and like, when I was first here, like he just talked talk to people who didn't even know real and tell them to provide for me financially. And he'd like, like, he just does what he wants to do. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not, he's not held back by, um, by any of that. The thing that holds him back is our lack of faith. Mm. I, I mean, I believe. So yeah. I think how to build that faith element into mm. people's lives. I think is the key to seeing a breakthrough in the church. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Katie. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Katie. It's been a real joy to chat together. And it's given, I mean, so much food for thought from the point of view of, <laughs> um, you know, how to prepare, how to help others prepare. Yeah. Everything you've said about laying down our own um, ideas and just following what the Spirit says. I think, I mean, all of that is very, very impactful. So thank you. Anyway, that's it for today. So thanks for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this interview, then please spread the word on social media um, or by sending it to a friend. And why not go across to fieldpartner.org and find out what else we have on offer. So bye-bye for now and see you next time. God bless. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons and other resources, visit our website fieldpartner.org.